Let's turn to page 291, 291. Let's stand on higher ground, amen, 291. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. Faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. My faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. Faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness and your grace. We want you to take each part of this service, use it to your honor and glory. We ask that you would help us to remember that we're not singing these songs to each other, 
or even for the people outside to hear, Lord, we're singing these songs for you. And we ask that we would sing them from our heart. And we ask that you would still us from all of the cares and the, and the burdens of this life, that today we may learn and partake of your word and go forth from this place with a heart's desire to serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, now let's turn to page 288. Page 288, I would be like Jesus. It ought to be your heart's desire, 288. Earthly pleasures vainly call me. I would be like Jesus. Nothing worldly shall enthrall me. I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song. In the home and in the throng, be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. He has broken every fetter. I would be like Jesus. That my soul may serve him better. I would be like Jesus. Like Jesus, this my song in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus all the way from earth to glory. I would be like Jesus, telling more and o'er the story. I would be like Jesus, be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng, be like Jesus all day long, I would be like Jesus, that in heaven he may meet me, I would be like Jesus, that his words well done may greet me, I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long, I would be like Jesus. Amen. And let's do one more song, 169, There Is Power in the Blood. Amen. 169. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you worry evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Now sing with power. There is power, power, wonder work. In the blood of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power. Precious blood of the Lamb, would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Let me hear you. Wonder working power in the blood of the land. 
There's power, power, wonder-working power, precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now this time we'll have all the children 11 and under dismissed to our junior church. And let's sing that last verse. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen, and you may be seated. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get that. All right, and just before the message, I'm going to have the family come sing a song for you.
Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and there are just absolutely a gazillion things trying to uh, crowd my mind this morning. Uh, one of them is uh, the date uh, of today. We are just one day short of the fifth anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and, and um, you know, people are still looking for closure. They are trying to get over this thing, and I just believe there are certain things in life you cannot nor should you ever get over, and uh, I believe that's one of them, and uh, we need to... Uh, we need to live, amen, the greatest way to honor the testimony and the lives of those uh, that died is to continue uh, living and living the way that uh, God would have us to live. Uh, another thing, if you'll take time, not right now, of course, but uh, read your uh, bulletin, the missionary letter, uh, the Bob Mack family. We need to keep them in urgent uh, prayer. Uh, make a long story short, and it, it's just nonsense. It just doesn't make sense at all, but... Uh, uh, one of the new government members, if you'll remember, they had a coup there. The United Nations appointed a government of part of the rebels and part of the traditionally elected. And one of those rebel leaders uh, had connections to uh, Russia, of all places. Could you imagine Russia wanting to be involved with the rebels in Ivory Coast? And uh, anyway, this connection... Uh, tons of deadly poison that Russia was trying to get rid of were dumped out on the ground literally four miles from where Bob and Becky lived, the city of Bingerville. Uh, most of us that have been in the United States any time at all understand the term brownfield. Well, uh, this is a black field. Bob says that their little clinic has literally just been flooded with people of uh, respiratory problems, vomiting, bleeding, and all kinds of things. And the only thing they know to do is to leave the town. Uh, is, and the only safe thing to do is for the whole town to leave the town. And so uh, we, we really need to hold the max in prayer. Um, just uh, stop and think. Uh, 
you know, uh, Bob is, and, and Becky are as much family as they are anything else. Uh, my wife's sister and her husband, but the thing is, you, you think of the ministry and the time and the preparation that it took to go there, and literally, how many of you remember Brother Mac's presentation? I mean, it was absolutely fabulous. The, uh, at this point, unless there's miraculous intervention, there'll be no school. The clinic's closed. Uh, the church, the, the main thing the church is trying to do is get people out of there. He, he says that several people have already died. Literally hundreds of people have been made deathly ill to this thing. And, you know, this just goes on. And uh, what, what are we to do about it? And uh, I've heard all of the hoopla and everything that's going on as, as uh, we come in. I mean, there, there are people in this country that are deadly afraid that somehow our president will get some credit for making this country more secure. Now, that is nonsense, my friend. I don't care who gets the credit. I would just like to make sure that what happened five years ago doesn't happen tomorrow again. Amen? And uh, we need to pray about these things, and we need to put these things in our hearts and in our minds, and, and then with the max and everything that's going on around us, it is absolutely easy. It is the normal thing to do to allow all of these circumstances of life to overwhelm the soul. Amen? That's why I asked Julia to sing that song, and I've got about three sermons in my head, and I'm going to try to get them done this morning, all right? So uh, uh, you pray that it comes out and makes sense, and we're not here till four this afternoon. Amen? But uh, let's start in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's start in verse 34. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your own goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, he that shall come will come, amen, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe. To the saving of the soul. Now we have the writer of the book of Hebrews, and I will, by God's grace, always refer to him as the writer of the book of Hebrews because there is no positive identification who this writer was. And uh, I have earnestly striven to spend precious little time trying to figure out who God left unnamed. Amen. Uh, so we will just refer to him as the writer of the book of Hebrews. And he starts this passage by talking about those people to whom he is writing. He said, ye took joyfully 
the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. These people he was writing to had lost personal possessions, had lost goods that belonged to them and were rightfully theirs because they willfully identified with the writer of this book and just as he was in bondage, he was a prisoner of Rome, so then they partook of his sufferings, they became a target as well. It says they did this joyfully because they knew that in heaven they had things that no man could take. Amen? We get so wrapped up in this world in which we live. September 11th was not a shock to God. Amen? He didn't get nervous. He didn't say, oh my, what am I going to do? He knew about it before any of the conspirators, the conspirators that planned it were born. You say, why does God allow things to happen? You know, uh, there are certain times, and the best answer I can give you is I would much rather trust the answer to that question, since God does not answer it in Scripture completely, I would better trust the answer of that question to the character of God than to the character of men. I'll let God carry that burden. I, I am glad I don't have to know why those things happen. But one of the things, that, a few of the things that we understand is, number one, we see the depths of depravity man is able to sink to. We see the levels of hatred that is able to abide in this thing called the human being. Sin always makes innocent people suffer. I think of the little babies born addicted to crack cocaine. They didn't do anything. But they're suffering because of the sins of others. Someone said, well, why do the innocent have to suffer? Well, I can't, again, answer all these questions, but I just want you to think of what kind of world it would be if the innocent did not suffer because of the sins of wicked men. There would be absolutely no restraining force whatsoever. God puts these things there so that common people, even people who are unsaved, can see that there is a price to pay for sin. Amen? God does not call sin, sin, because He's trying to take away all of our fun. How many of you that are saved today remember how much fun you had sinning? Wasn't much fun, was it? That's why you're here, amen? Because the real enjoyment and the real peace and the real joy in life is not found in the bar room, in the dance hall, in the nightclub. It's found in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that joy and those things that Jesus gives, when we compare them to everything we possess here on earth, are absolutely nothing in comparison. And these people joyfully gave up what they had so that they could be a help to another Christian, the writer of this book, who was suffering. Now, in verse 5, he says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense and reward. Now, that's where I got the title of the message. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Now, I want you to turn with me. Uh, keep your finger or bookmark or paper or whatever in the in Hebrews, because we'll be coming back there. But I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And, and in Mark chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go the whole way to the end of this chapter, and it's a long chapter. My wife sang the song, and I asked her to sing it, because... Some of you may remember the message. We preached, uh, I preached a message a long time ago, over a year ago, I believe, on blind Bartimaeus at the end of this chapter and how that he, casting away his garment, came to Jesus. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews here is telling us, cast not away our confidence. There are some things today that maybe you even brought with you to church that you need to throw away. Amen? And there are some things maybe you have thrown away that you need to go back and get. Amen? And the problem is we need to tell the difference between what needs to be thrown away and what needs to be kept. It was kind of like the guy wandering in the desert and they found him and he was dragging along a car door beside him. And the guy said, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, if it gets much hotter, I'm going to roll down the window and land in a cool breeze. Amen? I mean, sometimes you're bringing the wrong things with you. Sometimes you throw away the very things that will save your life. Yukon, where Brother Harrison is, is, is wilderness, most of it. And uh, if you are not prepared for wilderness survival, the wilderness survives. You don't. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I'm sure every year uh, if there are people that go out into the wilderness and never come back. Well, if they do, they come back. Somebody brings them back, but they die out there. And people do the strangest things. The craziest things when they get into a panic situation in the mountains here in New York State every year. In the Catskills and the Adirondacks, it's, it's hard to understand how someone could uh, get so lost in the Catskills that they would lose their life, but it happens. They tell the story of one hunter. I'm not sure exactly where this happened. I read it in one of those field magazines. He wandered through the night until he was so exhausted he dropped where he walked and he froze to death. 
he crossed the road five times. They trailed him. But in the panic of his mind, he couldn't see the road. He couldn't feel it under his feet. He was just senseless. We've had stories of people throwing away the, the, uh, the very equipment they needed to survive. And then they succumbed to the elements. And what I want us to do this morning, if we can in this time, is look at the things that God has intended for us to throw away. And look for the things that He has intended for us never to throw away. And you will find in your life that you have a tendency, because of the sin nature that dwells within you, to throw away the things that God has intended for your safekeeping and keep a death grasp upon those very things that will destroy you. That's human nature. We start in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to, that I may inherit eternal life? We know this man as the rich young ruler, do we not? And Jesus told him some things. Mark chapter 10, we start in verse 17, and, and we come down here to verse 21. Look at this, and this is a true statement. It says, Then Jesus, beholding him loved him. Now what Jesus was going to say was not very, uh, shall we say, a massaging to the ego. Uh, someone might even say that it was unkind. But if you truly love someone, you want what's best for that person. Amen. How many of you know the story of the rich young ruler? Just raise your hand this morning. The rich young ruler had everything this world had to offer. He was young. He was rich. He was a ruler. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That meant he knew his Bible. He went to synagogue every Saturday, as was their tradition. By the way, the Sabbath is not the day of worship. It is the day of rest, all right? Uh, you got to get that right. Every day is a Sabbath to the Christian because we're not to do our works. God is to do His. And so as we look at this, this man had everything. Then Jesus, verse 21, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now that's pretty harsh, isn't it? He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to sell everything you have, and give it all away. And then I want you to come and take up the cross... Now, every Jewish man knew what the cross was. When the Romans had come into the land of Israel, 
There's a main highway running north and south from Galilee right down through. They lined that highway with crosses, and every one of those crosses had a Jewish man hung on it. That's how Rome subjugated foreign people. This guy was familiar with what a cross was. There wasn't hardly anyone living in the land of Israel in the days of the Roman Empire, in the days of Jesus Christ, that did not know someone or some relative that had been crucified by the Romans. That's how pervasive this thing was. And he said, I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. He said, take up the cross. I'm sorry. And here we have our first person holding to that which he needed to throw away. It says, in, He was sad at the saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He said, I'd rather keep a hold of what I got than trust Jesus for what he can give. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us to cast not away our confidence. It says, which hath great recompense of reward. Now, there are many, many times in life where we will have opportunity to put our hands on a few things of this world. I'll tell you what, it... There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank account. What's wrong is when your money in the bank account has you. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. But if that's what you're living for, you cannot live for God. What did Jesus say? You can't serve two masters. You have to make a choice. Now, we have developed a third choice today here in the United States because God was not gracious enough to give us this third choice. We've made it. Jesus said, listen, either you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to hold to the one and despise the other. We, we've made a third choice. We are going to serve the world and talk nice things about Jesus. Now, that's not a scriptural alternative because it includes lying. Amen? Follow where we're going with this? Jesus said, listen... You cannot be dishonest with yourself. And yet, if we want to look at the sin of our day, the plague uh, of our age, it is the lying to oneself. It is looking in the mirror, saying, Man, you look good. Nice and thin and trim. Well, the mirror only shows this far down, right? Strong. I'll tell you why God lets you get old. He wants to remind you that you didn't really have what you thought you had when you thought you had it. Amen? He wants us to look and to be honest with ourselves. Because what can you hold in these hands that you can take to heaven? Nothing. We have no idea what the future holds. I dare say, those of us that have lived in New York City, 
for any period of time, those of us that were living here five years ago when the attacks happened, you hear a plane flying low overhead. There's just a part of you that looks up because that's just who we are as human beings. You're on the subway and all of a sudden it stops in the middle of the tunnel. And there's just a part of you that wonders. Now some people have let that fear grow to a point to where they can't even move or function. Let me ask you a question. If it were to happen again, what are you going to do to stop it? Hmm? Are you going to do... I mean, I'll tell you how stupid I was. I mean, the week after September 11th, if it weren't for my wife's pleadings, I, I was thinking about joining up at my age. And then she reminded me, you never had what you thought you had? Amen. Uh, you're not going to do them any good? You're not going to help. You're just going to be in the way. What we need is another fat, old, uh, sore Marine, right? I mean, that'll just get the job done. No, that's not what we need. What we need is to let go of those things. that will keep us from serving Jesus Christ. I'm glad I don't have to make a list today. What I would challenge you is to let the Holy Spirit help you fill out your list, amen? Because it's different things in different lives. And this rich young ruler, what it was, was the things that he possessed. It was the fact that he had everything life had to offer. He had it together. He was the man. Jesus said, give it up. Give up your security. Give up your, your sense of well-being. Give up your future. Give up your name and your reputation that you didn't do anything to uh, uh, get anyway except be born into that family. Just give it up and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He's in hell today as far as we know according to the Scripture. I wonder if he still has his equivalent of his bank book in his mind. Thinking about those words the Savior said, I can't give all this up for him. He had to hold on to it. It cost him his soul. Is it worth it? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look here. Verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God ye might receive the promise. Now here is a problem that we have. 
It is called the lack of patience. Now, how many of don't raise your hand here because I don't want anybody lying, okay? But just stop and think. Do you think of yourself as a patient person? If you do, you're probably not. If other people are all the time telling you you are a patient person, that just means they have less of it than you do. Amen? I know what's within this soul. I've actually been told by some misdirected people, you're patient. <laughs> no, not, not this preacher. I wish I were. It says that we have need of patience after, wait a minute, wait a minute. For you have need of patience that after. Now, now that word after denotes a progression of events, does it not? Now, let's get the after first. This is what you got to do before you can use patience. It says, after ye have done the will of God. That's where you have to start. You see, the reason why we do not have confidence in this life, the reason why we wonder about things and get so concerned is because we have not done the will of God in the first place. When we do the will of God in the first place, sometimes God tells us, hey, take a break. But I don't want to take a break. I mean, if we could, most of us would say, I would love to be able to bypass this suffering and this frustration called life and go right to heaven and be with God in eternal joy and bliss. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? Just think, no more parking spots. No more politicians. No more all this trash that we have to put up with in this world. But that's not what God said. He said, for we ye have need of patience. After that, ye have done the will of God. Now, that's what we got to get a hold of, amen, is the will of God. Sometimes God calls us to do what we would consider insignificant and meaningless task. But if it was insignificant and meaningless, then why would God want us to do it? Amen? When God wants something done, it is neither insignificant or meaningless, but it may not be something that will get your name in lights. But that never was the goal of a Christian anyway, was it? Amen? It's difficult for our missionaries many times as they come and they say, well, this is what God has called me to do. And I think, Brother Harrison, you said the church has been built up in the 
in the last 12 years up to 30 or 40 people now. And we praise the Lord with you. You say, but that's not very many people. Hey, those are the people God gave him, amen? And we praise the Lord for that. I've had many people, oh, you're in New York City. I've heard about you. How many people do you have in church? Oh, about 75 or 80. Uh, oh, I must have been hearing about somebody else. Hey, let me tell you something. We're not here to make headlines. Sunday, uh, Thursday night after church, we had a student from uh, Columbia University School of Journalism. And uh, he was doing a research paper on church growth, of all things, a, a fake radio broadcast that I guess he's going to play for his teacher and get a grade. And, and uh, he said, now, what do you do for church growth? I said, well, that's not our goal. Our goal is to help people build a living relationship with a living God. But, but you have to pay bills and you have to... Yes, we do. I said, but we don't go after people so we can have numbers. We go after people to help them. Again, I don't want to sound repetitive, but we want to help people build a living relationship with a living God. And God has always taken care of our bills. Amen? you got to put first things first and then let the Lord take care of the rest. And he's... Um, then he found out some other things. I said, well, let me tell you the story of how God gave us our building, amen? And he's just said, that's a miracle. That's miraculous. I said, yeah, that's why we call it the miracle on 35th Street, amen? Santa Claus is on 34th Street in Manhattan. God did a miracle on 35th Street in Astoria, amen? Now listen. We've got to understand something but you have need of patience after that you have done the will of God that ye might receive the promise now we want to spend a few minutes on the promise and then we're going to go back to Mark chapter 10 and I think we're going to be done here number one the promise is not a great and powerful nation amen the promise is not victory on the battlefield the promise is not a good economy the promise is not a Christian in the White House. The promise is not a great job that I love doing. The promise is not a white picket fence and two cars in the garage and all your kids get B plus or better in school. The promise is not a positive outlook on life. I get so sick of that. Positive thinking is really great until something negative happens. Are you going to make September 11th something positive? I dare you. You can't do that without cursing the thousands of people that died on that day. There are some things that aren't supposed... I mean, these positive, positive thinkers would have the devil dressed in a three-piece suit and welcome him down on the front row to join the church. And unfortunately, he'd be welcome at a lot of them. Is there anything positive about that? Do we want the world coming in and teaching us how to worship Christ? 
You can't do that, my friend. The promise is not a lack of sickness and suffering. That is part of human existence. The promise is not the ability to hold on to our possessions and to have what we have. The promise is not to feel good about life and ourselves. But I ask you, how much energy do we expend to try to feel good about ourselves in life? How much time do we spend? I mean, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I get a headache. I'm headed to the medicine cabinet to get something to get rid of it. My allergies act up. I'm headed back to get something else. Sometimes you have to take two or three things all at the same time uh, just because you want to feel a little better. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take aspirin when you have a headache, whatever. What I'm saying is, is that the goal of our life? Because so many people hold these things as to be the promises of God. You turn on the television and and you listen to some of those nutcases on there and you would think that if you didn't have a brand new Cadillac parked in the garage, you weren't right with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with a brand new Cadillac parked in the garage if you can afford it. If you don't have to rob God and everybody else to get it. Amen? There's nothing evil about that. But let me tell you something. There is something evil about living your life for what you can get to make yourself more comfortable. That's not the promise. Look at the passage here. Here's the promise. For yet a little while, verse 37, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. That's the promise. The promise is that Jesus is coming again. Amen? You want to see this world straightened out? Just let Jesus take charge. You say, well, I want him to. Well, he will. But it's got to be his time, not our time. It's got to be His way, not our way. The promise is life eternal. John 17, 3 says, And this is life eternal, what? That they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. We're going to spend all eternity getting to know God personally. He's so big, he doesn't have to line us up one by one. Amen? We can all do it at the same time. That's why in Revelation 4 and 5, we see all those crowds of people around the throne. We're going to have a chance to get to know God. How about forgiveness of sins? That's the promise. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus said, 
peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Aren't you glad we don't have, Jesus didn't come to give peace like the United Nations gives peace? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus came to give us true peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen? Joy. He said, ask that your joy may be full. Now, if your joy is dependent upon whatever things you possess, that joy is going to be short-lived. I mean, just stop and think, have you ever gotten something brand new that you've just wanted for a long time? You've just finally got it. How long did that new last? A couple days? A couple weeks? Doesn't last very long, does it? What's it say? His joys are new every morning. Back to Mark chapter 10. Let's skip down to blind Bartimaeus for a few moments here. Verse 46. It says, And they came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side, uh, the highway side begging. And he called, in verse 49, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. He, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And we spent a whole Sunday morning on casting away of that garment. It was all that he had. It was the best that he had. It was his only security. It was the only thing he had to keep warm. But I'll tell you what, he didn't need the garments of the beggar serving the king. Amen? And what we need to understand that if we'll just get rid of these things of this world, we can follow Jesus. Now turn back in Mark chapter 10 to verse 28. The context here is the rich man, the rich young ruler is walking away with his head bowed in sorrow. And Jesus has literally called after him as he is walking away, saying it is easier for a camel, verse 25, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saying, With men it is impossible. These are the words that are ringing in the ears of this rich young ruler as he's leaving. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Now, Peter's trying to figure this whole thing out. He said, Wait a minute. Now, Jesus told this rich young ruler he had to leave all and follow him. We made that decision. 
Okay, Lord, what's in it for us? I mean, Peter was a man. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. I've met a few people over the years that have ventured to say, I left my wife or my husband for the Lord. That's not what it's talking about, my friend. God is against divorce. He never uses it, never is for it. He forgives us, and He cleanses us, and He lets us move on. But that's not what this verse is talking about. What it's saying is, I have stopped trying to use these people to please me. When I was in Washington last month and preaching at the family camp there, we spent the three nights that we had in Luke chapter 14 talking about if any man will come after me, he must hate his mother and his father and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters. I'll tell you, it got real quiet the first time I read that verse. Just as it did here when I preached that message. Just as it did right now when we started talking about this right here. God did not give you your family for your personal enjoyment and pleasure and building up. Parents, you cannot relive your life vicariously through your children and solve all your problems. Children, your parents will never be what you want them to be, and God made them that way. Amen? It is our job to stop trying to hold on to things, the rich young ruler, people, the disciples, and follow God. And there will be times as we follow him. I cannot imagine what is going through the minds and hearts of the Mack family there in Ivory Coast right now as they've watched their own children get very ill because of this pollution that was dumped, as they've watched other people come in with literally blood running out their noses and different things because of the poisons that were dumped there. How in the world can you live in a place like that? You can't. Where, where do we go? Well, was God surprised that that happened? Absolutely not. So often we waste so much time asking why that we never get to what. God would love for us to stop asking why and just start saying, what do you want me to do? What would you have me to do? 
Lord, amen, that's what Paul said. Lord, what will thou have me to do? That's where we need to be, amen? I'd rather wait on God than the United Nations, amen? I'd rather wait on God than the United States Congress, Republican or Democrat. Or God forbid the great independence. Oh, my. They're the worst ones of the bunch. Hey, let me tell you something. We think we control what goes on around us. And to a certain degree, we can. We turn on the air conditioning. It's nice and cool, as long as we have electricity. But... Why can we not take our eyes and our grip off of this world and just hold on to that cross and follow Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, in a way, I'm very thankful that it is impossible for the human eye to see what we're holding on to in this life. Lord, most of us would be terribly embarrassed to walk into a church holding on to what we are in reality holding on to. And it would be very easy for us to make fun of the things that other people are holding on to and ignore what's going on in our own heart and in our own life. Lord, we ask that during this time of invitation that we would be careful to take our eyes off others and put them only on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would have us to do. Lord, I pray that during this invitation time, you would give grace to those who need it to bring things that they're holding on to and leave them at an old-fashioned altar. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are unsaved, that they would let go of the garments of the beggar and just reach out unto Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are just struggling with life and what is going on around them, that they would let go. I pray for those that have. And I think of the Mack family, Lord. They've, they have done the will of God. They've moved to Ivory Coast. They've moved to the city of Bingerville. They've, they've gone soul winning and witnessing there and have seen you build a church in, in the presence of, of great political unrest and all of the other issues and now this has happened and Lord humanly speaking there's nothing that can be done but we're glad we serve a God that is not bound by the limits of human frailty we lift the Mac family up Lord 
We ask that you give them patience to wait for the promise that you have for them. Lord, I pray for our city. I pray for those that are born again and Bible-believing people here in this city who have done the will of God with their lives in serving you, that they would have patience to wait for the promise and that they would not take any cheap substitutes. I pray for our church that we would not fill our hands with riches that are not eternal. Lord, we ask that you would be honored and glorified. That you would accept the offering of a broken and contrite spirit during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. We're not going to finish that prayer yet because there's, I believe there's business to be done for the Lord. I just ask for us to stand for Julia to come and play the hymn of invitation. We're not